0: one time between a uh, preacher in the Lord's Church and denominational preacher on the subject of, of baptism and it so happened that the weather got bad and the brother who was supposed to come and defend the truth of the necessity of baptism wasn't able to make it but still people gathered at the building the denominational preacher was there to present his side but there was nobody there to present the truth there was an older man in the congregation who had been a Christian for several years and he said well I'll do it never done anything like that in his life he said I'll do it so it came his turn to present his side as it were he opened up the Bible to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 And he simply read it, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he sat down. And for the next 20 or 30 minutes, the denominational preacher just ranted and raved, giving everything he could to try to discredit the statement that was made, or the verse that was read, basically Acts 2.38. So when his time was finished, he sat down And the Christian older gentleman got up, opened up his Bible, looked in Acts chapter 2, and he said, well, it's still there. And so when we talk about, I thought that was a good illustration that we, as many times as people try to attack the truth, try to attack the Word of God, it doesn't change the Word and it doesn't make the Word disappear. It's still there. The same thing for God. We're talking about comfort from the Psalms specifically during this class. And the same thing applies when we talk about God. You know, every day, if you watch enough news, something else happens, right? Paul Harvey used to say, as if we don't have enough to worry about. Every day something else happens, but you know what? Where's God? He's still there, or here. Let's make be more accurate than that. He's still here. He's still among us. So when we talk about comfort, that's... The primary fact that we take with us, whatever else we gain from this study, I hope we'll gain the truth that God is still with us. No matter what may come, God hasn't left. And we talked last week a little bit about passages such as Psalm 13, where the psalmist thought for a period of his, of his life anyway that God had, had left him, but he came to the conclusion that he really had not. So just briefly to go back, we're going to pick up, if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 1, we'll pick up back in Psalm 1 in just a few minutes, but just to give a little bit of a background, a little bit of a review of things. And I hope I'm being heard okay. Can y'all hear me? All right, thank you for the good volume there, Kevin. Appreciate that. Need a little extra nowadays. But just to review, this, uh, the lesson lessons are coming from uh, a book that I wrote 10 years ago. And you can have it if you just go to that website you can download it or any of the books that are on there that are mine you are welcome to download those for free so those are yours and you're welcome to share them with anybody you think would benefit from uh, from reading them as well so we talked about first of all Kevin would you forward that for me please some reason I can't get this to work thank you the first chapter we discussed in review was from the depths, simply pointing out the fact that um, the greatest strength we get from one another, besides teaching the Word of God to one another, but it's when we're talking to somebody who's, who's been in a similar situation, we feel like they really understand. And we talked about how God applied that with Jesus in sending him to, to dwell in the flesh so that he could be a true advocate, a true mediator for us because he understands the trials that we face was Hebrews 4 15 and 16 that he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin so he understands and then next slide please where we started last week was in Psalm number one looking at some of the statements there so let's go back to Psalm number one and again just do a little bit of review we're pointing out from Psalm number one that uh, we talk about comfort. We're talking now about the comfort of stability. And we've already mentioned the fact that God is here, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so Psalm 1 is a psalm of stability, the stability that we can have because our God is stability defined, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But let's just read this again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And as we noted last week, we see the stability in the life of this individual depicted in Psalm 1. Uh, He's compared to uh, the tree planted by the water in verse 3. We noted last week that this was an intentional planting. This wasn't just uh, some seed that blew off of a standing tree and landed wherever it could. This was apparently a uh, farmer who went out and purposely planted a tree in the most... Uh, luxurious the best watered the healthiest place that he could find it he had purpose in that and that tree is that's pretty good illustration up there on the screen that tree is is stable because of its roots being fed by the rich soil and the water and so the person who walks with God is able to be stable or have that stability because of that we also noted in verse 4 that the difference between the chaff And the grain of wheat, and how they would winnow the the grains, tossing the grain into the air. The lighter weight shaft would fall down, the heavier, or would blow away rather, and the heavier grain would fall into the pan or the barrel, whatever they were doing it over, or even onto to the ground below them. And so here, from a negative standpoint, we see stability. We're like the one who walks with God is like that grain that is stable, as opposed to the shaft that blows away. We pointed out from the first two verses that the stability that we gain, again, God is stability. Verse 6 indicates that, that God knows the way of the righteous. God is the reason for stability because God is stability. But the basis of us obtaining that and developing and having that stability is found in verses 1 and 2. First of all, it is the one who turns away from that which is evil and we touched on this last week let's keep your finger there and let's go back to first Peter chapter 3 because I had to run over this quickly at the end of class and I wanted to come back to it first Peter chapter 3 bottom line folks when we face difficulties there's not some magical that's going to beam over us and automatically give us comfort it's just not going to happen it doesn't work like that our stability as we see in these first two verses of Psalm 1 comes from God but it involves us seeking God so in this particular case in verse 1 here are the things that the stable individual the one who can withstand the storms of life There are some things that person doesn't do. So there's a negative in verse 1, there's a positive in verse 2. We'll come back in a second. But look in chapter 3 of First Peter, First Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him, the King James says, eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Somebody's got a different version, First Peter three eleven. read that please. Okay, and that's ESV. Okay. And let him turn away from evil and do good. And, and literally the word translated turn away or eschew in the King James is, is basically run away from it. And let him seek peace and ensue it. Again, the King James says that is running toward it. So it's two opposite directions. Okay, so now we go back to Psalm number one and see that same thing. In verse one, it is getting away from it. You wonder how a Christian facing some severe difficulties, how some seem to stand so strong in the midst of those. Well, it didn't happen overnight. I assure you that when you look at a Christian who... Is facing the difficulties whether it be health difficulties or whatever it might be who is able to stand strong with a faith in God and trust in God when you look at that individual you're looking at somebody who has built that spiritual strength over time it did not happen automatically it took effort it took the effort of turning away from that which is evil and doing that which is good You see, the Bible is filled with examples. We saw that in 1 Peter 3. Here's another one of them here. Of God instructing us not to do something. But then immediately coming back and saying, do this instead. God knows that we're not just going to be in a vacuum. So we don't have just in the Bible, don't do this. We have, don't do this, do this instead, replace it. So our stability comes from God, but it comes to us as we turn away from that which is evil. And verse 2, it comes to us as we turn to God and do that which is right. So verse 2, look at what he says. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. Look at those two words. The individual who has stability that can help him or her handle the challenges of life delights in the law of God Now, how do you delight in the law of God what do you think he's talking about by the way again this is open comment you're welcome to comment or question but when he says how how does somebody delight in the law of God what would you say it's like oh no well we got to go open the Bible again I guess I better go read my Bible today because I have to do it is that what he's talking about What kind of attitude do you see here? They enjoy studying. studying, Okay, Like the psalmist would later say in Psalm 119, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, by the way, is a psalm that is filled with praise for the Word of God. I'm sure you've read that many times, all 150 verses, but it won't... Or 172 verses. It won't hurt to read it again. Okay. All right. So he delights in the law of God. This is one who wants to know more. Again, we think of what Jesus said in the uh, Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who hunger and what and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then the rest of this verse in chapter or Psalm 1 and verse 2, in his law doth he meditate day and night. Meditation indicates thoughtfulness, the, the fact that the individual is, is focusing on what God has said. He's stopping to think about what God has said. He's not just passing over it quickly. He's actually contemplating and studying that. So this is the individual who is... Gaining stability. Here's the one who is able to stand. Um, the one who blows away like the chaff, down in verse 4. We talked about that last week a little bit. The one who's blown away is the ungodly individual, verse 4. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor st- sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So you see where we're going there. Again, it, I know this is basic principles, but it's a good reminder that if we are going to face the storms of life, We need to follow God and turn away from that which is evil we don't need to look at it if it's bad we don't need to listen to it we don't need to turn we do need to turn away from it and turn toward God now the more we do that the more we fall in love with spiritual things and the more we love spiritual things the more we grasp the truth of the difference between things of this world and the things of eternity. So there's a, there's a correlation or a relationship between doing God's will and loving to do God's will. Again, it's not a burden. 1 John 5 and verse 3, his commandments are not grievous. Jesus said John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we follow God because we want to and as we do that, as we develop that love for him and that delighting in his word and that focus on on meditate meditating in his word then we build up our we may not even realize what's happening that we're doing that at the time but when the challenges of life come and we're able to withstand those folks it's because you have been drawing closer to God I'm telling you that's what it is it's because you've become closer to God now we talked about this a little bit in class I taught Sunday morning about peace And the fact that when a tragedy occurs, that doesn't mean we necessarily at that very moment are, are, you know, if something bad happens to us, we don't jump up and down and say, hey, this is great. You know, James said in James chapter 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And James wasn't either suggesting that we would necessarily be jumping up and down when troubles come. What he was indicating is that every challenge that we face, among other things, he indicates in that passage. But one one takeaway I get from it is every challenge that we face helps us, gives us opportunity to glorify God. Just like Paul did in Second Corinthians chapter 12 when he talked about his thorn in the flesh, it was an opportunity. He, he didn't want that thing. He asked three times for it to taken away, and the Lord wouldn't take it away. But he saw it as an opportunity to glorify God. And that's what he said at the conclusion of his comments there in 2 Corinthians 12, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather suffer infirmities. So, again, our comfort that we're talking about, being comforted from Psalm number one, is in the stability that we gain from our stable God. God is a rock. God is solid. God is constant. God is always there. Uh, James 1 and verse 17 and the King James says with whom there is neither shadow nor variableness of turning there is no darkness in him whatsoever He doesn't sleep. I Think it's a psalm. by the way. Psalm 9, 119 has 176 verses. I missed my four But I believe it's in Psalm 120 but I don't like to give wrong verses hang on Psalm 121 Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God does not rest, He is always there. Now, let's talk a little bit more and then we'll move on to the next psalm. Anybody, any other questions or comments they'd like to make? The world's kind of acting crazy right now, isn't it? Now? The world's acting kind of crazy, and we don't deny the bad things that are happening in the world, do we? We can't deny, we can't put our heads in the sand and deny that things are happening. But who stands firm, not worrying about it, but just continuing to serve God and looking for eternity, the place where there will be no sickness or sin. It's the one who continues to walk hand in hand with God. So let's talk briefly about god's stability god is eternal psalm 90 and verse 2 which means he was in existence before the world began he was there in the beginning of the world he was the creator genesis 1. god is present each second he is the sustainer of his creation jeremiah 23:23 through 24. god will be there at the end of the world he is the one who will destroy the elements second peter 3 verses 10 and 12 He is the one who will judge mankind Matthew twenty five, thirty one through forty six. God was there when the Bible began to be written, 2 Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. He gave each word of the Bible to his inspired writers, 1 Corinthians two, seven through fifteen. He will be there in the end to employ his word in judgment, Revelation two twenty and verse twelve. God was there at the beginning of each of our lives, Psalm one thirty nine, verse thirteen. He will be with us at the end of our days, Psalm twenty three. Daily, he is there when we rise in the morning, Psalm 5 and verse 3. He is there with us throughout the day, Matthew 6:25 through 34. He is there with us when the day is done, Psalm 4 and verse 8. And then he is there with us all through the night, as we just saw from Psalm 121 and verse 4. We don't want to get away from God. Some people do, I suppose. But we know he's always there. Now let me just read through this quickly and then we'll move on. God's stability is demonstrated in his faithfulness to mankind, faithfulness that can be seen on page after page of his written word. It's there in Genesis where we learn of mankind's fall into sin and then the immediate introduction of God's plan for redeeming man. God's stability is found throughout the books of the law, from the rest of Genesis through Deuteronomy, as the Lord frees Israel from Egyptian bondage, thus ultimately portraying spiritual freedom from sin in Jesus Christ and then as he leads Israel to the Earthly Promised Land of Canaan. God's stability is seen in the Old Testament books of history, from Joshua through Esther, where God is constantly involved in the affairs of Israel and Judah. God's stability is seen in the books of poetry, from Job to Song of Solomon, in which inspired writers tell us of God's deliverance and dependability. God's stability is seen in the words of the Old Testament prophets, from Isaiah through Malachi, where one inspired man after another continues the theme of eternal redemption God's stability is seen in the gospel accounts of the New Testament where we read of the actual physical arrival of Jesus, God in the flesh, his perfect life, his death, his burial, and resurrection. God's stability is seen in the book of Acts where we find men like Stephen finding the Lord faithful to him even in death. God's stability is seen in the New Testament epistles from Romans through Jude in which we find an abundance of precious promises all given by our God who cannot lie. God's stability Is seen in the book of Revelation and in his powerful portrait of victory in heaven for the faithful, provided by the one whose sayings are faithful and true. You want to know more about this solid rock? You go to his word and you apply that and you build that faith and you get stronger. And yes, challenges do. Are you ready for this? okay I'm gonna say it anyway challenges do help us our faith comes from the word Romans 10 and verse 17 but like Jim was talking about up here during the devotional the challenges of people raising things in a Bible study that maybe you hadn't thought about that you need to go back and study When somebody asks you a Bible question and you don't know the answer what do you do Besides, you say, I don't know. What's the next thing you do? I hope you go back and study it and try to learn more about it. Guess what? I would be willing to guess that you're going to remember that the rest of your life. Because you want to be able to answer that. If you've ever been in a position where you could not answer a Bible question, and you go back and study it, you think about it might have been 20 30 years ago I I think you probably still remember the answer to that so God has given us his word to flee to to go to to stay away from evil because he is stability and we can have that All right, let's talk about Psalm 3 can you give me another slide Kevin please thank you don't any of you do that that's not for you to get an idea okay that's just an illustration that is not a suggestion But we're talking about Psalm 3, comfort in the strength and protection of God. So let's go to Psalm 3 and read. Psalm 3 said, Lord, how they are increased which trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. And the word Selah, if you don't already know, is just like a musical notation. Because these are songs, they're songs. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly salvation belongeth unto the Lord thy blessing is upon thy people of all this this, we're going to go through this whole psalm in just a moment but that gentleman right there in the the image depicts what jumps out to me in psalm number 3 because here's the psalmist surrounded by his enemies we're going to talk in a moment how he got there here's this psalmist surrounded by his enemies what's he doing I'm sleeping at night. Now, folks, again, we're not going to get into raising hands and things like that, but think about this. Have you ever been so stressed out that you couldn't sleep? Have you ever had possibly, literally, thousands of people wanting your life? And you slept anyway because you trusted in the one who was watching over you that he'll take care of you and that he is stronger than anything that's disruptive in this world God is stronger and that's why the psalmist said he could rest to this so let's go back to second uh, Samuel chapter 15 we could go a little farther back than that actually go to chapter 11 and this is, if your version of the Bible or your edition of the Bible has basically headings for Psalms, they're not inspired, but it gives an indication of what many of translators felt was the source of the Psalm. So Psalm 3, the header, uninspired, says, "A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So let's go back and talk about that just for a few minutes. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that's the case of David uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then having a hand in the death of her, her, uh, her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And then uh, basically covering it over like it wasn't any big deal. In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet comes to him, tells him a parable, makes application to him. Says, I'm talking about you, David. And he says this, down in 2 Samuel chapter 12. In verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them to thy neighbor. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. So because of that sin of David, there were going to be problems in his household. Big, big problems. And there I do use the word. Told you I don't like the word problem, but I think it applies in this case. Because you come to chapter 13, and now we start reading more about the family. Uh, by this time Solomon has been born, but now we have some other children of, of David, three in particular. There is Amnon, there is Absalom, and there's Absalom's physical sister, full-blooded sister, Tamar. And Amnon decides that he loves his stepsister. But instead of expressing himself in a way that would have been acceptable, or as acceptable as it could be, I suppose, for one expressing love for a stepsister, he rapes her. And after he rapes her, he basically don't want anything to do with her anymore. Well, her brother Absalom is very angry about this And decides he's going to get even. And calls for the king, David, his father, and all the uh, sons of David to come and have a meeting. And David won't go, but the others do. And it's at that time that he has Amnon murdered. So when God said through Nathan that David was going to have trouble in his family, he was right, wasn't he? And so Absalom has a part in the death of his stepbrother Amnon. And then Absalom runs away. But Absalom eventually comes back to Jerusalem. Now here's what happens. In chapter 15 of Second Samuel, after he's come back to Jerusalem, verse 2 says, Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? He said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of one of the tribes of Israel. Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Verse 5 says, It was so when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. So what's he doing? He's bringing everybody over to his side, basically saying, My father, the king, doesn't have time for you, but I do and you're good, and you're right, and I, I know you, this must be a real challenge for you, so I'm going to help you. Well, you go down to verse 7 and find that this went on for 40 years. For 40 years, Absalom kept stepping up in front and telling people to come to him. Well, after that period of time, he had enough followers to where he figured it was time for him to take over. So down in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 15, there came a message to David, a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. David said unto all his servants that were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. So David gets out of town, essentially, with many of his... Uh, followers and some of the priests went along with him and there's one particular case after he's gone where there was a uh, used to be one of his servants named Ahithophel and Ahithophel stayed behind and became a servant to Absalom and Ahithophel devised a plan whereby they would go out and they would kill the king well it didn't work out for various reasons but that shows you where David was at if psalm number three was written in the context of absalom rising up against him first of all how would it be for your own child to rise up against you and and we know how much david loved him we can read here as we read on the morning that david had absalom was the one that had the three to five pounds of hair on his head and they were out in the in the in the forest and he got caught up in the trees and uh hanging there that david given the instruction that his son Absalom was to be brought to him alive but Captain Joab saw him hanging from the trees and had him killed and David mourned for him even saying the phrase we've often heard I'm sure as we study that "Oh Absalom Absalom my son Absalom so David was very sad about that but again back to Psalm number three let's go back there now that we have kind of an idea of the context of not only his followers turning away from him following somebody else but his own son deceiving individuals as well so we go back to Psalm number three and again the focus we put on on verse five I laid me down and slept I awake for the Lord sustained me look at what we've got here um, the reason for this being a psalm of comfort, verses six and seven, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. Go back to verse one and see the situation. Lord, how they increase that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. So not only are they fighting against him, but in verse two, it would seem that they're actually mocking him. Many there be which say of my soul. There is no help for him in God. Now, we don't know where Absalom was spiritually because we're not told you know we would expect that perhaps he had gone after idols but we're not told that he was a righteous man so if you can imagine an unrighteous man leading a people and that they're saying among other things David is trusting in a God who's not going to help him so now here's your situation your, your child is against you He's not just against you, but he's conspired even to kill you. Some of the people who used to follow you and used to be some of your closest confidants, they've turned their backs on you. And these people you used to lead, who used to think so highly of you, now they're making fun of you. This is where David is, apparently, when he writes Psalm number three. In verse three, God portrays God, excuse me, David portrays God as a shield. The American Standard Version translates this phrase, Thou Jehovah art a shield about me. So the idea of God shielding his people is faithful. And again, all of this is, is couched in the fact that this is one who's walking faithfully with God. But God being a shield. Now, God is called a shield in other passages as well. we think of the challenges that we face, the things that Satan hurls at us. Remember in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of the Christian. We have the shield of what? Shield of faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Okay, so again, it, it keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? It keeps going back to his word and building our faith through his word god is the source of of strength and protection he is our shield round about us in that same verse the writer refers to god as my glory and it seems so that god, since god was david was honoring god in the context he was indicating god was the source of his glory and honor look at this also in verse 3 it says that god is the lifter up of my head but somebody again give me a different version psalm 3 and verse 3 Shield about me, and what does the, the rest of the verse say, brother? Uh, I've it, lift her up, my head. Lift her up my head. Okay. So, does anybody have anything other than lift her up of my head the en- at the end of verse 3? Okay. So there are a couple ways that we could look at that. Again, it's showing with the psalm's theme being comfort in God's strength and protection. The lifter of my head, he could have, we could look at one of two ways, perhaps, to look at the meaning of that. One, perhaps, being that David has confidence that God is going to restore him to his position. He's going to lift him back up to where he was as king, which, of course, did happen, right? Okay. Or it could be that God is the one who is going to lift up my head in the sense that he's going to encourage me. And help me to keep looking forward when we get discouraged what do we do what's our posture look like when we get discouraged kind of like that right kind of sunken a little bit maybe even a little bit like this with our heads down okay so if that's the case then he's saying that God is the one who lifts my head back up what makes you go from this to this well you get encouraged And then you look forward, or you look up, but you start moving ahead. So perhaps that's what David is saying. One of these two, in either case, it represents a positive trust in God. That he knows, the psalmist knows that he's going to take care of him. So, have any of us ever had tens of thousands of people after us? No, probably not. But I wonder, again, not asking for your response. Just want you to think about it. Have you ever felt as difficulties piled up on you? Did you ever feel that just about everybody was against you? It's okay to admit that. And you know now where you are now, provided you're not in that situation at this moment. Where you are now, as you look back at particular time in your life that was especially challenging, you look now and you say, no, not every, I know better than that. But in the moment, let's, let's face it, that's what it felt like. Just like the psalmist, again, we saw in Psalm 13, who felt like God had abandoned him. Sometimes it may just seem like, well, have you ever said these things to yourself? Nothing ever goes my way nothing ever works out for me it's not fair this shouldn't be happening to me again especially as Christians we may look back later on and say okay that wasn't the best kind of thought thinking to have but that's the way it felt you know when uh, Joseph's brothers came back to their father Israel and said, Here's the robe of your son, your favorite son Joseph, who has been eaten by the animals. Was was Joseph dead or was he alive? He was alive. Did Jacob think he was dead? Look back with me real quick and then we're gonna finish up for the night. I've got a point to make with this. This is in Genesis chapter 37. They came back and they told Jacob that he was dead. Verse 34 says, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, mourned for his son many days. Said, I will go down to the grave in my son mourning. Did Jacob think his son was dead? Yes, he did. Was Jacob's mourning real? Was Jacob wrong? Was his son dead? No, Jacob was wrong, wasn't he? But it felt real. And so when we talk about these thoughts that we might have, again the psalmist is saying 10,000s of people are against me. And perhaps sometimes we may feel like just nothing's going right. Everything's against me. Well, I'm going to leave that with you and pick up and just tell you this to think about during this week. We don't have to stay like that. There's a particular passage that we're going to look at next week to discuss that, to show us. In fact, if you want to go ahead and start reading Romans eight thirty one through the end of the chapter, then that will help us to deal with these feelings that we sometimes get when things go bad. There is comfort in the strength and protection of God. God loves you and He loves me. And he wants us to be with him in eternity. And he wants to care for us. And he does care for us. No matter what challenges we face. Let's all bow together. Finish up. Father, we're thankful for the time we had to study your word this evening. We're thankful for the comfort and strength that comes from your word. Father, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you, Father, for your perfection, for your love, for your mercy and care. We're thankful for your stability. We're thankful, Father, for your strength and your protection of us. We know that you'll always be there with us, and we pray that we'll focus on walking with you so that we can be closer to you, so that we can be a better influence on those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.